Welcome to the Informed Pregnancy and Parenting Podcast. I'm your host, Dr. Elliot Berlin. Today we're talking to Nusha Salimi again, but this time your baby's not in your belly anymore. Mm-hmm. What happened at the end of your pregnancy? How did it go? You were planning to, just as a little recap, you already had a kid. Yeah, so uh, I had a three-year-old. And she was breech. She was breech. And you planned to do a breech delivery at home. I did. And you sort of delivered at home breech, but not all the way. Yeah. She came halfway out. She came halfway and out. she's like, I'm going back in. She went back in, you went to the hospital, and you ended up having a cesarean birth. Yeah. And then for this one, you were planning uh, head down, which was great. Head down, <laughs> perfect position. He actually was breech initially, and I was like, oh, man, I just make breech babies. Yeah. Then he turned. So then basically um, I really struggled with the idea. It became a struggle because I was really coming back and forth between wanting to do another home birth. and then, But I definitely wanted to do a VBAC. That was my main goal. Yeah, and, and midwives do. It's within their scope of practice to do vaginal birth after cesarean at home. Yeah. Like home HBAC. Yeah. So I, I had – Which is weird because the baby doesn't come out of your house. It still comes out of your – yeah, that is. So it should be a V back at home, yeah, but I get it. That's that's actually kind of funny. Um, but so I had Alex as my midwife again, helping me out there, and I kind of just came to this decision that I definitely needed also a doctor. Yeah. So basically, the doctor that I chose had his guidelines. Okay, for doing a vaginal birth after cesarean. Yes. So and what are his uh, parameters? He didn't want me to go over 40 weeks. He didn't want the baby to be over a certain weight in the worry that, you know, something would go wrong with the um, pressure in the cervix and things like that. So basically, I had this in my head that I was going to have this baby at 38 weeks. So I was determined to have the VBAC and every day I'd be like, okay, I'm going to go into labor. I'm like, what can I do to go into labor? And stressing myself out, my husband out. Who were you in Hawaii? Wasn't that like 37 weeks? Yeah, I was in Hawaii at 37 weeks. I'm like, I'm going to have this baby in Hawaii. <laughs> and that would have been okay. I would have been fine with that. Patty was there. Oh, right. Yeah, yeah. You had your she doula. Was my doula. Poor, oh God. I like think of doulas and I'm like, they are angels. They're angels. Like how, like I could not have gotten through my delivery without Patty. And Garmin. But you and didn't have the baby in Hawaii. I didn't have the ba- baby in Hawaii, no. So 38 weeks comes. 38 weeks you're comes. You're back in Los Angeles. Back in Los Angeles and going to the doctors. I'm still, I'm having a lot of contractions though, but no, but it was like false labor. So then 39, 38 and a half weeks comes and I wake up in the middle of the night and I have, and I'm like, oh, my water broke. I stood up in the kitchen and I call my husband over and I'm like, I felt like a little gush and I look on the floor and there's a little puddle. I'm like, oh, my water broke. Exciting. Yeah, I was actually, I was like texting Patty at like, you know, midnight being like, I think this is happening. It's great. I was having complete labor symptoms. And then I lied down and all of a sudden it stopped. And I was like, this is strange. And talked to her about it. She's like, oh, well, maybe it was just like, you know, maybe it closed back up. You know, who knows? Went back to the doctors the next day and also told my midwife, and they were like, oh, it's called a fifth bag, which I don't know. It's not very common, apparently. Is it beyond the four bag? <laughs> it's beyond the four bag, I guess. It's like something in front of it that can pop in it. Because I tested. I had one of those little Q-tips yeah. that tests for the test amniotic for, fluid. Oh, really? And I was like, okay, test it, and immediately turned black. I'm Who like, has that? Um, I had the midwife bring <laughs> it over. I was like, just make sure it's coming. <laughs> um, so you know those little Q-tips, yeah. ones, right? So I had that. And I was like, okay, so it's amniotic fluid. And then I went to the doctors, and they did another one, and it was no longer 
the fluid. So apparently mm. I, I made a fifth bag of Wow, good for you. You're yeah. so productive. I felt I felt special with that. So then anyway, a week went by and still no baby. Mm-hmm. And I, but I had so now thirty nine weeks. Yeah. Okay. Are there things you're doing to try to? Because he gave you like a forty week. Yeah. So I was kind of I was definitely stressed and I was taking all the teas. The ra- I drank so much raspberry leaf tea. It was crazy, and. I was doing all the different exercises with yoga and things like that to try to bring him down. And he just kind of was how my first was and wanted to choose his birth date. Mm. I went to the hospital and went and got Pitocin. At 40 weeks? No, before 40 weeks. Okay. The doctor was oh, like, he wanted him out by 40 weeks. Yeah. So we went a little bit before. Okay. Yeah. And we went in. It was just like a few days. It was maybe it was like a 39 and a half weeks at this point. Go to the hospital because ha- I was having contractions. Go there, have Pitocin up to 18. The max is about 20 that you can get. And nothing happened. So I was in the hospital having Pitocin for like seven, eight hours. So no pain medicine? No. Just just going through contractions. IV Pitocin. IV Pitocin. And they don't feel different to you than what you walked in with? Um, I don't no, I had a period of time where I was in definitely like in some sort of labor. I was feeling it. Okay. I had Patty come there, she was massaging me. And the, actually the one point where I had some change in the dilation was when we um went deep into like a little meditative state. Oh. And I was able to really feel and go in and feel the labor moving through me. And then I'd come out of it. And then it just kind of stuck. So I was so they basically came in, and the options were going to be I was going to go in and have a cesarean, mm-hmm. or I could leave, you know, against my own, kind of against the medical advice. Oh, am I? Yeah. So did you talk to your doctor about it at yeah, that point? Yeah, he gave me those two options. Oh, he said my preference would be for you to do a cesarean. Yeah. But it's free country. <laughs> yeah. So you can, well, the nurses actually really kind of helped me make oh, that really? decision. Yeah, okay. the nurses and then the doulas also, which I found very empowering. But also, to be honest with you, by the end of it, I was sobbing. And I was like, you know, I'm just going to do the cesarean. Please just let me go to the cesarean. So Patty and Richard were kind of like. That's your doula and your husband. Yeah. They were both like, do not give in. I'm like, I just, I, I gave up at that point. I was, then they said that there was nothing, no changes from the Pitocin. Did you I, not think it was ever going to happen, or were you fearful that um, something would go wrong? I think at that point I was just so exhausted. I'd been trying all these things to go into early labor because in my mind I had all these different pressures going on. We were supposed to leave two weeks after that, thinking that we were having the baby at 38 weeks. I was supposed to leave two and a half weeks later to go shoot a movie with my husband, and I was just so drained emotionally, and I was just like, okay, the Pitocin didn't work. This is just not meant to be. Mm-hmm. And so then after sobbing, crying, for some reason, something happened and I got like a jolt of energy. I'm like, all right, we're leaving the hospital. So went home and basically just surrendered at that point. And six, seven days later, he came on his own. And it was really interesting how it happened because I was at a lunch with some friends and a girlfriend of mine texted me and she goes, Drink, um, go have a salad with a bunch of balsamic vinegar on it. <laughs> so we go into this restaurant, have a salad with a bunch of balsamic vinegar, and I'm sitting there with a few friends, and um, I eat it. And then I was like, oh, my water broke at the lunch. Please tell me it's on a six bag. <laughs> <laughs> 
<laughs> it felt like the six pack. No, so I went to the bathroom. I was like, oh, yay, here we go. <laughs> and then the, the, I ha- was having contractions just from that point. So I went home. So literally it was like gush contract. It wasn't a big gush. It was a little gush. But you felt the gush. I felt the gush. And then right from there you felt a I pattern felt consistent. of contractions yeah. coming? Oh, wow. Okay. Yeah, so we went into the car, went home, called my midwife, and I knew that if I went to the hospital too early, I wouldn't have a chance to have the VBAC because I wasn't going to be able to be in labor for that long because I guess in the doctor's uh advice was that he did not believe in that because you can only be in labor for so long, putting so much pressure on the cervix mm-hmm. and for, you know, he just was really wanting to prevent any chance of a rupture. Right. So rupture being the scar on your uterus from the previous uterus, cesarean yeah, birth yeah. from that scar not to separate or to pop open. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So that's like, that's the big fear with doing the VBAC. So long and short of it, we end up going to, um, Alex comes over, my midwife. midwife. My favorite midwife. I love her. I don't know how she dealt with me. I was so annoying. Really? I was. I just was like kind of the whole, the end of that pregnancy, I became like kind of one of those, I I was neurotic. I was like, I want, I was, I was trying to make and choose how this birth is going to be and when you really don't have any control. You don't have any control, but there's a lot of pressure on you. There's a lot of pressure. There's some, some, I think somewhat artificial pressure of having this arbitrary cutoff of 40 weeks. Yeah. To you know, Which is the middle of the birth window to say, you started by saying, I really wanted to have a VBAC, mm-hmm. right? But the other thing is you start off with, but we're only going to give you until a certain amount of time, and many babies come after that time, yeah. which is still a normal birth like window. Like my first child, she came at 42 weeks. Right. So so from the beginning, there's opposing forces here mm-hmm. for what you want and what the parameters that you put yourself into. And to add to that, you said, since I'm going to have my baby by 38, 39 weeks, let's get this big production yeah. scheduled for a couple of weeks after that. Mm-hmm. So that's a lot of pressure. I mean, I, I don't blame you for feeling that so. <laughs> yeah, I was definitely feeling not so by the end. But luckily, so it was funny. So Alex came over and she looked at me and I was like, maybe I, I still kind of was also doubting if I was in labor, even though I was having the contractions because I had had contractions so much throughout my pregnancy. Even the first time you and I did the podcast, I was having a lot of Braxton mm-hmm. Hicks. Yeah. So... Alex came over. She looked right at my eyes. She's like, oh, you're in labor. <laughs> She's like, I'm not leaving. She was actually just stopping by to like, I don't even know what she was. She was just stopping by to say hi, I think. She didn't even, she wasn't expecting anything. And she's like, let's go outside for a walk. And we go on this kind of, and it's really weird because the second you kind of go into labor, something shifts in you. And I think it may be the hormones or something where all of a sudden you come into this presence of pregnancy. I, I think it's, I, I feel like it's just, everything seems a little bit kind of, dreamlike so we're walking and she's like let's go to the park and just take your shoes off and go walk in the grass and I'm like okay so I do it and we go on this long walk and end up walking past a garage sale <laughs> and she buys a, a yoga mat she's like let's go home and just start doing some moves and <laughs> go into labor at home which I forgot completely how intense it was Ooh. it was intense so you go from like early labor to active labor yeah, and I mean not for like you know six hours. I was uh, I was six hours like early labor, and then midnight comes from lunch when the yeah water broke. Yeah, from lunch. So by like eleven o'clock, then Patty comes over. Doula, doula, 
And I'm starting to do the labor dance already then. Where are you now? You're 40 weeks and? Um, 40 weeks and I think I think it was 41 weeks at that so point. 41. I was definitely like a week over okay. of everyone, over, over the doctor's comfort level. Right. Oh, I wish I was like three or four weeks over his comfort level. I just kept on pushing the buttons. And luckily it was a Jewish holiday, which is what I got an extension for. Oh, really? <laughs> yeah, that was what happened. What was the holiday back in April? It was a big uh, one. Passover. It was Passover. <laughs> Thank God for Passover. <laughs> That's a funny way to put it. <laughs> Actually, on that note, let's take a quick commercial break and then come back and find out where the story goes. Don't go anywhere. We'll be right back. <laughs> hey, everyone. It's Dr. Berlin, and I want to talk to you about something that is close to my heart. Literally. Omega-3. It's a crucial nutrient that's sadly overlooked. With 95% of women deficient, Needed, the supplement brand I trust, created their brand new Omega-3 Soft Gels. Designed by perinatal experts, they support you and your baby's well-being from fertility to pregnancy and beyond. Unlike other brands, Needed's Omega-3 is sustainable, pesticide-free, and third-party tested for purity. Plus, my favorite, it has a milder taste and smell, perfect for sensitive mamas. Don't wait. Visit thisisneeded.com and use code BERLIN to get 20% off your initial order. Experience the needed difference, consciously crafted for your health and the planet. Welcome back to the Informed Pregnancy Podcast. Whoa, contractions are getting big for Nusha Salimi. Tell me what happens next. So contractions start getting big. Patty comes in and she sees me. I'm on the on my knees, moving my hips around, and she's like, "Go in the shower, walk around." And I'm already in that place where, when I was having the contractions, I had to like go inward. And I remember I was like holding on to the countertops and swinging my hips. And at one point, <laughs> when I so we did this for like three hours, and Alex was checking me to see how dilated I was because they're like. I had decided that day, I was like, I, I want to go to the hospital. I don't want to do the home birth. I just had this intuitive feeling like it wasn't the right choice for me. Mm-hmm. And um, and I'm glad that I made that decision. So you were still wavering? I was I was wavering up until the last second. Even at the very end. Okay. Yeah. And luckily, I had a really supportive team that was like, you know what? No, we should just make your choice. I was driving Patty and Alex absolutely nuts. Because one, one week, I'd be like, okay, I'm going to do the hospital. Next week, I'm going to do the home birth. Right, and what they do is dramatically different Oh, so how different. they support you, whether you're at home or in the hospital. Yeah, and also this the method, everything around it. So I kept on saying I wanted to go to the hospital, and this was o- and I was only at six, seven centimeters. And they're like, no, only? Yeah, well, I mean, I was dying. I was like in the, I was in the bed, and it was just so intense. Like, Where were you of, feeling it? Where was I feeling I just felt pressure in my lower stomach and my lower back and it I don't remember it being as intense with Rumi hmm. with my first daughter and I went all the way with her and she came halfway out at home right and I had no medicine or anything to any idea why this felt more intense so what they said is because she was breech and her bum is less um, oh, it's soft and squishy soft and squishy so the Not head like the baseball yes yeah, so I was feeling the head so I was essentially having like a first time labor right with the with head, the down, head down so I was like Good God. I was like, how have we all done this? Like, I'm still sitting back every day. I'm like nine weeks post. And I'm every day I'm like, how has humanity survived? Hmm. I'm like blown away by it. I'm like, how have women done this? Were there things that were comforting for you that did help take either your mind oh, or body? The only thing truly was 
having the support of two women who I found very powerful in their presence into making me aware that it's, you know, this natural process that's just happening. And and I think that having Patty massage me, and we were using a bunch of different essential oils, Mm. that was crucial. I was in the bathtub, putting the hot water on me, then I'd jump out. And also having my husband there just to have him look me in the eyes and tell me, you're doing great. Mm-hmm. Like you just need a team of people to kind of coach you on. Mm-hmm. For me, anyway, that was what was like helping me. And then finally, I was like seven and a half centimeters somewhere around there. And Alex checked me. I was like, I was like, I got to go to the hospital. I was like, I'm tired now. This is, and I knew my threshold because it was the same thing that had happened with my first birth. I basically had pushed for four hours, and I was like, okay, I'm done. I got to go to the hospital. Nothing was wrong with my transfer with the, even the breach, but I just knew I could only go for so long until I was exhausted. You know your point. I knew my point. And I think also being a nurse, I knew intuitively like what my threshold was. Like I pushed myself to the point where I was like, okay, I think it's going to be fine. I never really doubted that I wasn't going to do the VBAC though. Oh, so you're just going to the hospital because you're exhausted. I was going to the hospital because I was exhausted and I wanted to have the birth there and I wanted to see if I could potentially get some relief. Mm-hmm. But Patty and Alex are both reminding me, if you go and have relief, it's going to slow down the labor, mm-hmm. which in turn, if you slow down the labor, increases your chance of having to do the cesarean. Another cesarean. Because you had a midwife with you, so she was checking you? You knew you were yeah. seven? Yeah. Oh, okay. So she was checking me. And then they were wanting me to wait to eight centimeters to go. And I was like, I got to go. So I get in the car, we drive over there. And it was just, it's always that weird drive to the hospital. I remember that exact moment too when I was driving over from the first birth, but just that strangeness of like the the quiet night because it's in the middle of the night and you're driving to Santa Monica and nothing's going on. You just see the darkness. and you're, Yeah, there's no real cars on the road. Yeah, and, and you're just in labor and you're like, what's going on in my world right now? <laughs> it's so bizarre. And then Although I, this time's different because you're first of all, you're not breached and second of all, you're not transferring a home birth. You're yeah. just, we're laboring at home. Was yeah. your, did your doctor know that you were in labor at this time or? I didn't tell him, no. Okay. <laughs> Which I, I kind of was just like, you know, I'll tell him when we get to the hospital. Need to know basis. <laughs> yeah. So I get there, and when they check me, I'm around the – I was just kind of sticking around like seven centimeters and wasn't budging. And by this time, the anesthesiologist comes in, and they're kind of trying to push me to have an epidural. And Why? Because I'm a VBAC. And they that was just that they said he's like, he wanted me to do epidural because I'm gonna be back just because in case I end up having to do a C-section. doctor wanted you to have an epidural. The um, well, the anesthesiologist came in the room. They say it's like usually it's part of their protocol. Oh, V-backs have because you have a higher because, risk of transferring to do a C section. Oh, I guess they're worried about the uterine scar separation, mm-hmm. hmm. but that's a pretty small percentage. I mean, yeah. I think when it's not a common thing, I think that, you know, the legalities in the medical system brings so much fear to the doctors. Did and you know that they would want you to have a, an epidural because you were attempting VBAC? No, I didn't know that. I didn't know that either. Yeah. So they, I remember at one point the anesthesia came in like, wait, she's a VBAC and she doesn't have an epidural in? And yeah. I was like, what? We're all kind of looking at each other being like, this is interesting. So they let me kind of obviously make my choice of the epidural. And finally, at one point, I actually was exhausted. And I was like... I need a rest because my contractions were so painful and they and I wasn't progressing. Mm-hmm. So I was like, let's see what happens. I'll do a epidural for two hours on a light end. So I could still like feel my feet. It wasn't like 
you know, full on epidural, but I was able to relax for, I had it in for four hours and then they turned it off, but they put it on a low level. So like it wasn't that bad. So when the epidural was going on, I didn't, still, I didn't progress that much. Hmm. And then they turned it off and then something had happened. Something switched. I don't know what it was, but I went to 10 centimeters. Oh, quick? Yeah. Like seven to 10? Yeah. It just, oh, you know what? He came in and broke my water. Oh, that does make a difference. That did it. And then I started pushing. So I pushed for a while, and that was, again, out of his comfort zone. He only wanted me to push for, like, around an hour, and I know I was pushing for definitely. There's so many parameters around that feedback. I know it was. It was so much pressure. So anyway, I pushed for a while, and then he wasn't, and he kind of was sticking at this one place. He wasn't coming down. And the nurses, everyone was kind of, like, trying to help me go along. I remember my midwife came and whispered in my ear something along the lines of like you are powerful and you can do this and it was just these beautiful words of encouragement and um, then I saw the doctor come into the room again because he was kind of coming out and when I saw him it actually gave me the strength to want to push again harder I was like oh like I had confidence that when he was there I wanted to prove that I could do the VBAC I wanted to prove to him that I could do the VBAC it would it became something more than that. A like, challenge. Yeah, yeah, it was like a challenge. It's like, I can do this. And so finally, um, the baby was coming down and his heart dropped. So he grabbed a vacuum and vacuumed him out. Oh, wow. And just yeah. one one vacuum? Yeah. And you, it, had, you had an epidural place, but you didn't really have anything flowing at that point? No, I didn't have the epidural flowing at that point. Oh, so then you must have felt that. Oh, my God. I mean... I was like, what in God's name is happening to me? It was insane. It did not feel like that with the breach pushing at all. But when he came out, I remember, you know, because at that point it was a natural delivery because I felt every single thing because the epidural had worn off hours Mm -hmm. before that. But because I wasn't able to progress with the epidural, that's why they had put it on a low level and they turned it off so I could actually start making some progress. So, yeah, when I pushed him out, I felt every single thing. And I ripped. With the vacuum. With the vacuum. So the thing was, is I'm happy that we are at the hospital. I know that the midwives have a different technique, but he did come out and he wasn't breathing. So he had to have a little resuscitation. So the hospital has like a whole team fly around like, yeah, and they make it a whole big thing. So I think for my husband, it was a bit shocking. Oh, right. So he was not prepared to see that. So he was just there, and I was looking over, being like, how's everything? How's my baby? He's like, it's fine. It's fine. Mm. But in reality, and I found that really interesting because, like, he was protecting me, not wanting me to be, like, a mama bear and freak out. But internally for him, he was like, oh, my God, my firstborn son was essentially lifeless when he first met him. And then after a few minutes, the baby starts breathing, and they put him on me, and he was fine. But I think to see that, is shocking for someone who doesn't know that it actually is. But the more I talk about it, it's actually kind of common. Yeah. So, you know, the midwives, what they would do is they they wouldn't cut the cord. They would slowly milk the blood back into the baby. Oh, that's what the midwives do, yeah. Yeah. But if you haven't seen it. Yeah. And actually, you know what? I had a patient on who is a midwife herself, and it happened to her baby. She was calm about it, but it still was, it's kind of terrifying. Yeah. I mean, I'm really glad in that moment that he was protecting me and kind of telling me everything was fine. But I was just so out of it because I was like trying to push out my placenta and I'm like, what what just happened to me? Yeah, your job's not even done yet. Yeah. And then he's sewing me up, which that I was really surprised um, was pretty painful. 
Oh, really? You didn't shoot light again? You didn't feel it? Uh, yeah, no, I felt every single stitch going Wait. in. And, oh. I, and I've and i stitched people up before. Right. And I'm like, oh, my God. And I was like, this is, now I got like a taste of all my own medicine. <laughs> but yeah, so I, I felt every single thing of that. So that was pretty painful. But there and must, I mean, at that moment that the baby's out of you, I mean, your goal was VBAC and you yeah, and I did, did VBAC. So. And so the funniest thing was, is, is the, the first thing the doctor said to me, he goes, well, Good job. He's like, against all odds, you had this baby with a feedback. <laughs> uh-huh. Yeah, it was, I felt really empowered in that moment. And I was so grateful that I had so many people sticking by me, pushing me to continue with what I wanted to achieve. I know at that point when I was kind of broken and I was like, just, you know, I'm going to do the cesarean. When I had just, I was exhausted. I was in those last weeks of pregnancy. And I, I'm so glad that I pushed through and I tried because if I didn't try, I would be sitting here wondering, like, what if I, what if I tried? What if I tried? Yeah. Because um, that's just my personality type. I would have always. Well, I think wondered. most of us are like that. We yeah. So the I'm, I'm, I'm happy that I tried. I'm happy I did it. Although I'm shocked at the recovery of a vaginal birth. Well, that's a great point to take a little break. Mm-hmm. And when we come back, let's talk about your recovery from birth and juggling two little ones. Mm-hmm. Don't go anywhere. We'll be right back. Welcome back to the Informed Pregnancy Podcast. Nusha just had a baby. It feels like just a minute ago. Mm-hmm. In your dramatic way. <laughs> <laughs> like, why did it have to be so dramatic? <laughs> why? Um, so, so, yeah, you said the recovery. I mean, a lot of times people quote, like, oh, I want to have a vaginal birth because I don't want to have the cesarean recovery. Yeah. You've had both. Yeah. So my cesarean recovery was... Really tough, but I essentially that birth I had two births. I had a half of a vaginal birth, half of a cesarean. So I Truth. I wonder if looking back, if that cesarean was just that much worse because I went through labor at home and all those things. But the cesarean birth, you're you know you're down for a little while, and I think that women need to know to give themselves that time to heal for the cesarean. But with the vaginal birth, I think that the hospital. I mean, this is a whole other topic, but I think. The hospital doesn't prepare women to go home with the right tools to take care of themselves, you know, in that whole area down there after birth. Because I was like, what just happened? Like, I looked in the mirror and I was kind of in shock. How significant was the tearing? Um, I think it was stage two or three. I forget. Second or third degree. Yeah, second or third degree. It was definitely it was definitely in between there. I mean, it was pretty crazy. It was a significant tear. It was a significant I mean, but tear. It, I mean, he sort of had to emergency vacuum. Yeah. The baby out, so it's different than you know pushing. Yeah, I didn't push. Listening to your you. inner voice and pushing when you feel like you need Which to. Which also, that was again the midwife who was she was there and she's like, I would not have done the vacuum, mm. and um, she would have had it go slower and it wouldn't have had the tear and it would have you know my recovery there could have been probably a little bit easier. Yeah, so you know, thankfully. I was doing sips baths, which they work a little. Comforting? Comforting. I actually want to, like, come up with a product, da-da-da-da-da, maybe at some point, for just help women with that healing process. Because I was was shocked at how much um, discomfort I had. Right. And it's a pretty common story. Yeah. And then I was like, wait, nobody talks about this. No. I couldn't sit. And I was like, this needs, it's like, I was like, there's, and I didn't have enough people talk about it to me beforehand. And then I would bring it up, like, oh, yeah. As if it was normal to not Duh. sit for two. Like, oh, yeah, I didn't sit for three weeks. I'm like, oh. oh. Like, I sat in a bucket. Well, aside from the sits bath, was there anything that was helpful to your recovery? 
No. That's just time? Yeah, it took time. It was three solid weeks. And then. And you're trying to feed a kid, a newborn. Yeah, trying to feed a newborn. And you still have a toddler. I'm just, I'm in awe of women. I mean, and you went to shoot a movie. And then we went to shoot a movie. <laughs> and I did that. And it's just like adrenaline, I think, that keeps you going at that point. And now we've been back from the movie set for um, two, three weeks. Katie, who was uh, on it in the movie, she's the lead, Katie. What? Katie Lowe's and oh, she. Oh yeah, Katie Lowe's. She's not on our podcast, but we do oh, I have. I thought she was on your podcast. So she's on the Real Midwives of Los Angeles. Oh, I thought that's uh, how you guys would. Okay, yeah. We can edit this bit out though. No, no, she is. She's on our our YouTube series, The Real oh. Midwives of Los Angeles, uh, with Katie Lowe's during her pregnancy. It was hilarious. Just the funniest, most real person. So she's the in your film. Yeah. Oh, I can't wait to see that. Oh, she's phenomenal, and the whole time we were kind of like laughing just about. Oh, I'm on set with the willow pumps, which honestly, those <laughs> things, if I, I could not have done it without the willow pumps. Yeah. Um, and they haven't every, even been around that long. Yeah, they're crazy. And then, so everyone was on set and they're like, what? And you are like a robotic woman. And then at one point we were doing like a, we were, there was doing a scene in the movie and like you hear like, <laughs> <laughs> from the pumps. <laughs> it's very light, like wishing noise, but you still heard it because like you hear everything with the sound. But yeah, I mean, I finally felt like my physical body felt like I wasn't in extreme pain by the time that was happening. But I had a newborn and I was breastfeeding and he was colicky and had acid reflux. And, oh, wow. Um, it definitely wasn't easy breezy. But he came out with blue eyes and he still has his blue eyes. So he's super cute. So it makes up for all of that. <laughs> <laughs> like it was worth it. It was worth it. But How did um, his sister handle the new addition? That was the most beautiful thing to witness ever. So we brought her into the hospital, and everyone was kind of like giving advice on how to do it, but we just really listened to Rumi and kind of what she wanted to do. She's turned three in May, and she's very aware, and she's very communicative, and she was like, I want to meet my baby brother, and she was wondering where I was. So she comes in the hospital, and I was holding the baby, and... Oh, no, no, no. Actually, we had her come into the room first, and we had the nurse bring the baby in after. And we're like, your baby's coming to meet you. So I was holding her, and I was like, you ready to meet your brother? And I took him out of the little hospital bed thingy that they're in, that little cocoon thing. A little bassinet. A little bassinet, and she looks at him. And it's the first time in the history of her speaking that she didn't speak for a solid two minutes, and she just stared at him in the eyes. And it was as if these two souls had reconnected from another Aww. life. And it was so powerful to watch them and just see how that unfolded. And I was crying in there, and it was just beautiful. And then the first word she said was, oh, I love him. Oh. And I was like, oh, my God. It was amazing. Wow, that's so beautiful. Yeah. Um, now that you've had these experiences. Mm-hmm. Are there things that you would do differently? Like if you could, I guess on the one hand, in hindsight, if you could replan your birth, knowing what you know now, would you have done anything differently? Or looking forward to a future birth, do you have an idea what you would plan? I don't think there's a future birth, but my husband still thinks there is. But I think <laughs> that, um, I think honestly is I wish I gave myself more time to just settle in to the birth. And I wish we didn't have a big film production all planned that quickly after the birth. But, you know, it's all happens in divine timing. And I think that if it went any other way, I mean, I wouldn't be having these learning experiences to be more empathetic to 
my patients when they talk to me about different experiences they go through. And that's what I try to tell myself in any way to kind of get through it. But I do wish I gave myself more time to just settle and just be with Bodhi and it's my little boy's name and just enjoy those first six weeks and not have to be like, oh my gosh, we're doing this, we're doing that, we're doing this. Um, and just settle into it. I definitely rushed things, I felt like. So I would just slow down. That, mm-hmm. that would be my advice to myself in the future. I think that's probably all of us, our advice to ourselves. Looking back, mm-hmm. relax, chill out, slow down. Yeah. And I find it funny. Like the other day I was doing, because I do a lot of my Reiki sessions, and, that, and anytime I'm in that state of giving Reiki to somebody, I'm, I'm like, oh, yeah, this is my happy place. And that's when I'm in my slow place of presence. So So you feel the contrast. Mm-hmm. I know the contrast. So I'm like, oh, I know when I'm in. I'm so aware when I'm in that state of like, okay, looking more towards the future instead of being in the present. And when you're in the present, that's when everything's just like, Easy peasy. Nothing Are you really matters. Doing things for self care for yourself. Oh yeah, like I'll do. I uh, came to you the other day for my adjustments, which was definitely helpful. Well, good. Um, I get massages frequently. I think that for me is like really important. And then I've gone to the Olympic Spa up here, which has been helpful. Like they go, you go in there. Like the, it's like the communal women's spa where you all go in and you sit in mugwort. And it's this like bath that has um, herbal things in it that basically help with balancing hormones and. Oh, like a private bath for you? Well, it's a community. It's for women, but like yeah. everyone else, like there's like a bunch of women just sitting in the bath. In the bath at the same time. Yes. Oh. <laughs> what do you talk about in there? Well, actually, the women always walk by, and they and like there's this little sign that says "Be quiet," but all the <laughs> women are all gossiping in there. Just it's actually really funny. I always giggle a little bit inside myself, like, this is a really funny situation. There's a bunch of naked women in this place, and then the people who run the spa are always just running around with a sign that says, be quiet. Do not talk. It sounds like a little Saturday Night Live bed, to be it honest. It kind of is. Uh, well, congratulations to you. Up until tonight, I had no idea what your birth story was, even though I saw you yeah. and worked with you since your birth. I didn't want to know so that I would hear it here first, but... I know you were really motivated that you really wanted to have a vaginal birth, and I'm glad for you that you... Yeah, I'm so glad that I did it, and I think that I was able to release the fear that I had around it, because so many people put fear in me that, okay, you've had a cesarean, so you just have to have a cesarean next. And I think that that's something that I didn't realize like so much until I like you know did my own research, talked to my midwives, to know that, yes, you can have a vaginal birth after cesarean. And it's just not as common as people know about and even if you've had a cesarean immediately women are like okay my next one has to be a vaginal and to be honest with you I still am happier that I did the vaginal over cesarean because I know my healing was much faster I couldn't have gone and done work um, six weeks after Mm -hmm. the baby was born right so people say once a cesarean always a cesarean Mm -hmm. which is actually an old term from a guy who was trying to get doctors to do fewer cesareans But today it's bantered about as like this rule. Once you have a C-section, you must always have them. But it sounded like also you surrounded yourself just with people who kept you feeling supported on the track that you wanted to take. Yeah. Even when I doubted myself, they kept me on. I'm so grateful for that. But I remember at one point I looked at them. I was like, no, stop. And I was actually annoyed. I I remember at one point. I wasn't probably myself. (laughs) (laughs) I was kind of mean a little bit. And I remember just after that Pitocin, I was like, no, I'm staying here, just sobbing and being very melodramatic but 
everyone was shocked that I went home after that. They're like, I can't believe you actually went home. And I was like, you know what? At this point, I don't care. When this baby comes, he's coming. <laughs> yeah, it's really rare for people, I think, to leave the hospital. Well, nobody would know that they could. Like, I had my other doula, Carmen, she had called my husband and, and talked to him on the phone, and she's like, let her know that she has the choice to just stop the Pitocin and go home. I never would. I thought that I was having, I knew in my head I was having that baby that and night. Once you start, you can't turn back. But yeah. it's not true. Yeah. Like if nothing's happening. And you have the choice. You and can. I had, yeah, and I had no idea. And even the nurses were supportive, which I was super surprised about. Because usually in the hospital, even myself being a nurse, I've worked in the hospital. Like you kind of stay on that path of like, okay, once you're admitted, you don't want to go against medical advice. You want to just kind of go in and follow the orders. And I was so shocked that the nurse was like, you know what, just go home. <laughs> I was like, okay, I've just had 18, you know, up the highest. And it's like, a pit, yeah. And you yeah. went home. Um, before we wrap up, I have to ask you one question. Mm-hmm. What do you recommend for skincare after people have a baby? So what I've been doing a lot of is oils. I've been doing a lot of oils and a lot of exfoliation. And I think that that is like a huge, huge thing for the elasticity of the skin in restoring it. I've been actually doing a lot of combination of um, apricot oil Ooh. for my tummy. And on my arms, I've been using this scrub by Cora Organics because it's all organic. And since I'm breastfeeding, I'm trying to stay on the train of clean organic products. So I'll use this turmeric face mask, and I'll put it behind my arms where I had a little bit of these little hormonal bumps going on, and then I put it on my stomach, exfoliated it off, and then applied a nice apricot oil on it because it's also an oil that's really gentle, so the baby wouldn't be sensitive to it if I touched him after. Awesome. Yeah. Well, thanks for coming back and sharing your birth story. Thanks for having me. And a beauty tip. Yes, my pleasure. I'm going to go home and have some oils. Uh, And remind us one more time where we can find you online. So you can find me online at www.rejuvenatewithnusha.com and also on social media at Rejuvenate with Nusha. Perfect. And at home, thanks for listening. For more pregnancy and parenting information, visit us at informedpregnancy.com. I got on.